0: a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, you can turn it now uh, to Psalm chapter 3. A passage is also printed for you in your worship bulletin this morning. As many of you know, last week we started a new sermon series that is going to take us through the month of July looking at the book of Psalms. The Psalms is a collection of 150 different songs that God's people would have sung together during their corporate worship, and these songs were meant to shape and to form the heart of God's people. As God's people sang the different Psalms that they find in the Bible, they were called to make The experience and the emotions found in the Psalms, their own. And if you think about it, that's a really encouraging thought for us. That God has given us this collection of songs so that we might be able to express the full range of human emotion in our relationship with Him. It's encouraging that God has given us this book of Psalms so that we might have words to speak back to God in the midst of our joys, our sorrows, our questions, our doubts, our angers and frustrations. The Psalms help us name emotions and they give us the right words to pray when we're not quite sure what to pray. The Psalms are an invaluable gift to God's people. They have the ability to encourage us as we follow God in this fallen world. They've got the ability to draw us back to him in worship. They've got the ability to shape and form us more into the image of Jesus as we internalize the Psalms as our own. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 3. It's one of the 14 Psalms that is linked with an historical episode in the life of David. David. And if you have a Bible in front of you, you'll see the subscript above verse 1, which actually is a part of the original Hebrew scriptures. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. You can read about that account from David's life back in 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 16. And it's likely that David wrote Psalm 3 while reflecting on that season in his life. This psalm is classified as an individual lament And while it was written by David, it's intended to be embraced and embodied by God's people. It's a psalm that I think we can deeply resonate with, a psalm we can adopt and make our own. It's a psalm for when you experience troubled times and are stressed out. Let's turn our attention to David's words now and see how they provide words for stressful situations that we experience. You follow along as I read from Psalm chapter 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. Well, this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. The year was 1521. Martin Luther was on his way to the city of Worms, Germany, Just four years earlier, he had posted his 95 thesis to the door of a church in Wittenberg, outlining his disagreements with the Roman Catholic Church. And from that point on, Luther was the target of political, ecclesiastical, and spiritual forces that were at work to defeat his message of salvation by faith alone. We know that the devil is an omnipresent He can't be everywhere at once. That's Satan is. He can't be everywhere at once. But the events transpiring in Germany in the 16th century likely drew his attention and his energy. Luther would have been on Satan's radar. Luther in 1521 had been called by the emperor and the Roman Catholic Church to give an answer for what they called heretical teachings. The most powerful leaders of the day were gathered and they were set against Luther And he had been promised safe conduct into the city by those leaders, but his closest friends feared for his life. As Luther approached the city, a messenger arrived with a message from a friend. He said, do not enter verms. And Luther told the messenger this, tell my friend that even if there should be as many devils and verms as tiles upon the housetops, still I would enter it. Years later, a few days before his death, Luther remembered that moment and said, I was undaunted. I feared nothing. It would have been great to have known Luther. He would have been a fun friend to have in many ways. But it must have been true, because when Luther entered Worms and stood before that council of the most powerful religious and political leaders of the day to answer for his teachings, he replied, Unless I am persuaded by the words of Scripture and sound reasoning, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. I think it'd be safe to say that below the confident exterior of Luther, he was likely possibly feeling quite a lot a bit of internal anxiety as he approached that meeting. I know I would have been. It would have been normal for any person in the situation that he found himself in to feel disoriented. He had committed himself to a course of action and he was heading to face the consequences. And what Luther was likely feeling internally in that moment, the fear and uncertainty, the stress and disorientation would have been much of what David was feeling as he wrote Psalm three. This is a psalm that was written while recounting a time in the life of David where he felt deep distress, where he was experiencing troubled times. David wrote this psalm after his son had formed a coup against him. His son, who was named Absalom, moved into the city of Jerusalem with a team of supporters and kicked David out of the capital city, removing his father from power. And as you read that account in 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 16, it's not hard to imagine David feeling stressed, feeling disappointed, feeling disoriented with what was happening, feeling betrayed, feeling shocked and sad. And Psalm 3 is written by David as a roadmap for when we're feeling similar emotions. In this Psalm, we see David, like he does in all of his Psalms, express deep honesty, David had the unique ability to assess what he was feeling, to discern what was happening in his heart at an emotional level. And I can't help but wonder if that's a foreign practice for us. I know it often is for me. It's not easy to discern and assess how we're feeling, but the Psalms, they come and invite us to do just that. In fact, the Psalms oftentimes invite us to ask questions that we normally try to avoid. Questions like, what are you feeling these days? Are you happy? Are you scared? Are you confused? Are you disappointed? Are you sad? We can relate to how David was feeling as he wrote this psalm, because we know what it's like to experience stressful situations in life, to feel disoriented, to go through distressful seasons. Maybe for you this morning, it's your job and the future prospects of work and providing for your family. Maybe it's a relationship that you're unsure about. Maybe it's your health and you're confused and distressed about what the next best step is. Maybe it's just trying to keep up with appearances or kids or stuff and you're tired of running on the treadmill of performance. And if you're stressed out, if you're confused, If you feel a bit disoriented this morning, then Psalm 3 is for you. David gives us a map for how to process and talk to God when we're feeling that way. Psalm 3 helps us navigate times of distress and disorientation. And we're going to break this Psalm into three stanzas. First, looking at what David sees in verses 1 and 2. Then looking at what David believes in verses 3 through 6. And finally, looking at what David prays in verses 7 and 8. First, let's spend a few minutes looking at what David sees. At this point in David's life, things are not going well, as we mentioned. It's hard for him to see a way out of his trouble. David is overwhelmed by what's happening to him. Remember, his own son staged a coup. David has run out of town. His closest advisors have turned their back on him. He experiences ridicule and scorn as he leaves Jerusalem. David's world seems to be falling apart. Everything that he knew is coming apart. Everything he's worked for is disintegrating before his eyes. And in this season of his life, all David sees is trouble and distress. All David hears from others, the voices around him are how hopeless and abandoned he is. Notice that three times in the first two verses, David's enemies are described with the word many. He says, many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. This is the kind of opposition David is facing. He's outnumbered. He's overwhelmed. He can't see a way out. And those are the external events surrounding David. And Psalm 3 gives us an internal view of how he's processing these life events. It's unlikely that David wrote this Psalm uh, while it was happening. He most likely wrote it while reflecting back on this event. In his life. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind, especially as we continue looking at the Psalms through this summer. Because if you're like me, it's easy to read these Psalms and conclude that we should be able to get over our distress or sadness or doubt quickly. But we got to remember that what fills eight verses here can sometimes cover a number of years worth of processing and praying and struggling. I mean, it takes less than a minute to read Psalm 3, but it likely took David years to arrive at the steadfast hope that he expresses in this psalm. It's not as easy or as fast as it reads. And in the first few verses of this psalm, we're allowed to see into David's mind and heart, allowed to see the distress and the pressure that he feels as his world comes apart. He endures a challenging season in his life. And while we're not facing the same experiences as David, we do wake up each morning facing certain battles. And this being a public song for God's people to sing, we're meant to resonate with David's words in this psalm, to make them our own. We all experience challenges and disappointments and distress because we live in a fallen world, because we deal with fallen people, because we carry with us a fallen heart. And psalms like this help us recognize and articulate the distress that we can sometimes feel, and it is a gift to have such honest language and emotion given to us in God's word. It's a gift because you and I are often guilty of trying to gloss over our difficulties. We want to move quickly past them. We don't think it's appropriate to struggle oftentimes. But psalms like this, they come and they give us permission to confess that what we're going through is difficult that sometimes we experience deep challenges in this world and we need to hear that. We don't always recognize the difficulty of life properly. Instead, we try to ignore the difficulty or numb ourselves from feeling the difficulties. And when we do that, I've got this image in my mind of us sticking an inflated beach ball under the water. You've likely done that before and you might get it under there for a while but you can't keep that beach ball under the water. It's gonna eventually pop back up and the further we push it down, the more violently it pops up out of the water. And we try to push the difficulties and pressures and distress of life underwater oftentimes. When our foes increase, when we begin to feel life's pressures Instead of being honest with our struggles and working with God to move through them, we try to fix or numb the difficulty and pain. We push it underneath the surface and we typically do it with things like alcohol or more sleep or TV and Netflix or food or pills or pornography. We're people that are desperate to numb our feelings and to not feel stress. When your foes increase... When life feels overwhelming, when all the voices around you are discouraging and make you feel out of control, you need to hear and remember that you are not alone. Psalms like this give us the freedom to be honest, to bring our difficulties into God's presence, to share them with each other. I mean, we have got to remember that the operating assumption of the Psalms is that we are in community. They were meant to be sung in community. Not primarily read individually. Psalm 3 is a song that God's people sang together out loud. You don't experience the stress of life alone is what this psalm is telling us. Your church family is here. So talk to someone. Maybe you need to reach out about what you're struggling with. Maybe you need to check in on someone God brings to mind this week. And by doing those type of things, we're actually embodying the gospel, being the ears and mouth of Jesus to one another. As we experience difficulty and distress in life, when what we see feels overwhelming, when the voices we hear drive us to discouragement, psalms like this encourage us to be honest and to walk with each other. And as we walk with each other, we get the opportunity, and you've likely experienced this in your life, we get the opportunity to point each other to what is true. Even the fact that we're sitting here this morning, it's what we're doing implicitly. We're pointing to what is true. We can point one another and remind one another of the character and the promises of God. And that's where David moves next in verses three through six. He remembers what he believes. Against the backdrop of deep distress, he remembers what's true. I don't travel a lot, relatively speaking, to some of you. But a handful of times a year, I'm going somewhere that requires a trip by plane. And every once in a while, when I'm traveling by plane, it'll be a cloudy, rainy day. And the rain and clouds make a nervous flyer even more nervous. But I've come to learn that that does not bother the pilots too much. And when you fly on a rainy, dreary day, normally it's only a few minutes after takeoff that you learn why rain and clouds aren't that big a deal. Because what looks rainy and dreary on the ground is quickly left behind once you get up above the clouds. What was a rainy, dreary day on the ground is soon left behind and you find yourself all of a sudden breaking through the clouds, flying through blue skies with the sun shining. It's a pretty surreal experience, actually. And the fact is the blue sky and the sun, they were always there. You just couldn't see them. On the ground, you weren't experiencing that aspect of what is true. The rain and the storms were definitely true, but there was another thing at play. The most comforting and important realities are sometimes just beyond what we can see. At the beginning of this psalm, David is enduring some pretty dark, dreary weather. But as we move into verse 3, you see David pulls up out of the darkness and he remembers what he believes to be true about God as he turns his attention to the controlling reality of who God is. As David reflects back on his time, on this time in his life, he writes about what was true about God right in the middle of his turmoil and distress. He might not have seen it in the moment, he likely didn't, but he wants to remind us that there are realities about God that are true no matter our circumstances. He wants to remind us that God's promises are true even when we walk through dark seasons. In verse 3 through 6, David remembers what's true about God. He takes confidence in God. I like how James Boyce, who was a Presbyterian minister and commentator on the book of Psalms, sums this part of the psalm up perfectly. It's printed for you in your bulletin there if you have it on the front. He writes this. When a believer gazes too long at his enemies, the force arrayed against him seems to grow in size until it appears to be overwhelming. But when he turns his thoughts to God... God is seen in his true, great stature, and the enemy shrink to manageable proportions. But David turns his faults away from his circumstances and focuses on God beginning in verse 3. And over the next four verses, we see David take great comfort in the fact that God is one who protects, God is one who hears, and God is one who sustains. In verse 3, David remembers that God is a protector. He says this, but you, O Lord are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And the transition there at the beginning of verse three is important. As David is surrounded by these dire circumstances, as he's feeling powerless and vulnerable, he turns his attention to what is true. And he says, but I might be experiencing all of these dreary things in life, but I have a shield. I have one who's inclined to protect me against my enemies. In verse four, David continues by remembering that God is one who hears him. David says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. David's pleas for help weren't ignored. The God who created him in all things is inclined to listen. He bends low to hear the cries of his people. And when you consider who God is and how much he has to do, that is pretty amazing. And you know how frustrating it can be to talk to someone, maybe your spouse or a close friend, about something important to you, to be sharing your frustrations and your feelings with that person, and then to notice that they're not really listening. I mean, it can be maddening. If I'm honest, I'm normally the person guilty of not paying attention like I should. And it leaves the other person wondering if I really care, if they're important enough for my attention, if what they're experiencing is serious. And this psalm is reminding us that God always listens. His ears are always open. He cares about your circumstances, your frustrations, your distresses. You're valuable in his eyes. And he invites us to talk with him whenever we want, knowing that he hears us. Lastly, in verse 5, David remembers that God sustains him. I love it. David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And it's a beautiful picture of God's constant care in our lives. Think about sleep for a minute. It's when we lie down. It's when we stop our work. We have to unclench our fists. It's a time that we give up control. It's a vulnerable act. And David is painting the picture of trusting God so much that he's able to sleep soundly even when people are seeking his life because he knows that God never sleeps. God is watching over him. Look, if God is caring for us and watching over us, if he hears us when we cry, if he's our protector, that means that you and I can relax a little. We can rest a little. We don't always have to care for ourselves. We don't have to protect ourselves. We don't have to sustain ourselves. We can pray and rest, pray and trust that God is at work and in control. I love how Ruth Haley Barton encourages us in prayer when she says this, it's also printed for you at the beginning of your bulletin. She says, what is the use of praying if at the very moment of prayer, we have so little confidence in God that we're busy planning our own kind of answer to our prayer? Because of who God is and what he does, David can be confident he doesn't have to fear. And this Psalm invites us to ask the question, what is controlling your life? What's controlling your life? Are your circumstances controlling your life or is God's character controlling your life? David reminds himself of who God is and it builds his confidence for the present, enabling him to walk by faith and not by sight, enabling him to continue standing in the middle of distress. For David, there is something even more real and certain than his circumstances. And this leads him to the last two verses of this psalm, to ask God to act on his behalf. It leads David to honestly express his needs to God. As we get to the final two verses of this psalm, David's confidence is back. He's moved from focusing on the number of his foes to focusing on what God can do. And you sense David's change of tone in verse seven. He says, arise, save me. Almost as if he's commanding the Lord in these verses. That's the confidence David has as he thinks about who God is. In this psalm, David is vocal. He talks to God. He turns his beliefs into a prayer, asking God to act once again. And as I reflected on this psalm this past week, it made me stop and ask the question, how often do we really ask the Lord to act on our behalf? I mean, I know we do. I know we ask him to act on our behalf, but if you're like me, it's not always your first instinct. We normally ask the Lord to act on our behalf when we've exhausted all of our resources. When we've called in all of our relational favors or run out of the parenting tricks or come to a dead end with medicine, it's then that we begin asking the Lord to act and save us. But David recognizes his need in this psalm. He remembers who God is, and he boldly approaches God. He asks God to act, to rescue, to defeat the wicked, which we'll talk about in coming weeks. To bless. And because we know how the situation turns out for David, we know that God answered his prayer. God did rescue David and defeat his enemies. And it might leave you wondering this morning, what do we do if we ask God to act? What do we do if we ask him to rescue us and our situation doesn't change? What do we do then? Because it may or may not, your situation and your circumstances. Our hoped-for outcome isn't always promised. What's promised, though, in other parts of the Bible is our ultimate good, which might take us down a path that we wouldn't choose if left to ourselves I like how one pastor put it when he said, if we knew everything God knew, we would choose exactly what he chooses. We'd be in exactly the same place that we are today, where we find ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves that we follow one who makes good promises, one who works for our ultimate good in ways we can't always see. And it's an aspect of faith in our walk with Jesus. What is promised to us is salvation ultimately. What's promised to us is God's blessing ultimately. And like David, we'll experience suffering. We're going to go through distressing times in life. We'll feel overwhelmed by enemies at points. And I like how Tim Keller speaks to that reality when he says this. Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is often unfair but contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There's a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. And that's where David finds himself at the end of this psalm, and where you and I are meant to find ourselves this morning driven deeper into the love of God, in the midst of our distress and our difficult situations, finding stability and power in the one who's able to act on our behalf and to rescue us from our distress and our discouragement. And how do we know that God is good and trustworthy? How do we know he wants to act on our behalf? How do we know that he can? Well, look at what he gave. In Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks of the suffering that followers of Jesus experience in this world, and it's deep suffering. And he sums his reflection on suffering in this world up with these verses from Romans chapter eight. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's given everything he can give. He's gonna care for us through the rest of our lives. And because of what we've received, we can trust him this morning. Let me pray for us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you love us and care for us. Thank you for the hope that this Psalm brings to our lives and to our hearts. We pray this morning that as we trust you more deeply, that you would calm our anxieties, that you would give us the ability to look towards you in hope, and in trust, and that we would experience a deep rest from your hands. We pray that you would be with us this morning as we come to this table and celebrate and remind us of your deep love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.